0: Welcome to Word from the Herd, produced and brought to you by the Kimmel Foundation for Recovering Leadership. Welcome to Word from the Herd. I'm Thomas Hill, your host, and today I've been joined in the studio by a really interesting guy that I'm excited to talk to, uh, Lieutenant Waylon Cubitt. Welcome, Waylon. It's good to have you. Thank Can you. I call you Waylon, or do yeah, I need absolutely. to call you lieutenant or no. well, officer?
1: Is it official? I don't know. It's yeah. just, it's not a, it's not, I'm not interrogating you.
0: I hope not. I was right. planning on interrogating you, okay. actually. Yeah, Waylon okay. is
1: fine. Yeah, that's great. Thank you.
0: And uh, Waylon's been with the Oklahoma City Police Department for 20, 22 years. 22 I've been in years. law enforcement 25 years. Unbelievable. I right did 25
1: years. Going on 25.
0: The thing that is really impressive about Wayland's career is he's really kind of dedicated himself to helping people who are at risk, uh, predominantly young people. And um, at one point in his career, he you know he started thinking, "Hey, we need more than just police intervention; we need prevention programs." And so, quite a while ago. He helped found or establish the Oklahoma City Police Department FACT Unit, which stands for Family Awareness and Community Teamwork, which is aimed at building character and empowering at-risk youth while also dealing with some gang prevention programs and and things like that. And and that's been an outstanding program. And through that and the other things that he's been involved in, he's kind of earned the title of Master Mentor. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more later. So I'm I'm interested in that. So again, Welcome. I'm going to ask you the same question I ask everybody um, just to kick it off. And that is, who was your hero when you were growing up? And if it's changed, who's your hero now? And, and tell us a little bit about why. Tell us something about yeah. that. Yeah.
1: <clears throat> so for me, hero is, uh, was close to home. It was my dad. Mm. It is my dad. Uh, now there's also some some surrogate heroes right that you grab grab a hold to and you just admire their work and they inspire your work and 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 you kind of start modeling modeling your yourself after their work but my dad came from a little town called Broken Bow in 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 Oklahoma and he was the first one to graduate high school in his in in our large fragmented family and just listening to what he has done uh how he loved, how he served, how he's never uh, tainted me through his experiences, uh, you know, dealing with racism and all that stuff. He's never tainted me. He just said, you can do it. Uh, and, and he just kind of modeled that the whole time. And he's the smartest person on earth that I that I know. And, he's, and he has almost, you know, just a high school diploma, but he's the most wise man on earth. And I, I remember a time When I used to think, God, this guy doesn't have much sense. Like he's so dumb, (laughs) he's so dumb. He doesn't know. He just kind of, you know, he just talks so much and he just tells stories all the time. And the older and older I get, the smarter and smarter he got. And and I realized he's always been that wise and he's always been that smart. And so
0: he's my he's my hero. That is fantastic. What a wonderful story. you know, I, I had the exact same experience with my dad. There was a period in my life when I thought he was an idiot. Right. He just didn't get it at all. And pretty soon I began to figure out he actually was smarter than I thought he was. And, it, and at one point I figured out, okay, wait a minute. You know, I'm the one who doesn't know anything. Yeah. And now I'm having the same experience with my kids. You know, as they get older, I get smarter, which is yeah. kind of nice. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. it's, a, it's a nice thing. Well, Waylon, you've been in, again, like we said, you've been in law enforcement for 25 years. That's a, a impressive career run who in your life impacted you? What caused you? What led you into that career? I, I'm sure there's a story there. So tell us how you how you got involved.
1: Well, really, it, it's it's not much of a story uh, really because, you know, uh, I'm, I'm an African-American police officer. And, and so a lot in law enforcement, a lot in the military is they go, I saw my uncle, I saw my dad. And it's kind of a legacy that's passed down from Generation to generation, and that's not the case for me. Uh, in fact, in my community, the last thing that people were aspiring to be was law enforcement. You know, it, it's just not a popular thing to be. So I knew really early on that I wanted to be in law enforcement, but I didn't tell anybody. And so I secretly watched police officers as they entered uh, stores or neighborhoods on their traffic stops. Whenever I watched the cop shows, and, and I really have to be—I really have to say—I was inspired a lot by what my dad was watching on TV and that was Gunsmoke and, and, and Marshall Dillon and all, he was the, the the sheriff, the marshal, the, that, that guy was the guy that saved the day that stood in between the wrongdoers and, and, and I just kind of saw myself, although we played cops and robbers and cowboys and Indians and all that stuff that we played, I've always found myself being the good guy, uh, being the one that, that took the risk for other people's good. And it, it was all in me. I, I say I was inspired by a calling to do it, and I haven't really worked a day in my life. It's just it's. Uh, I'm surprised they pay me. <laughs> I'm really shocked they pay me. Yeah, so I have that much, uh, and I love the, the 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 notoriety of it. Meaning like it's a noble profession. Uh, I know, love what it stands for. And I really, really h- hope uh, and work really, really hard to make sure that the men and women that do the work get the respect they deserve, but also work really, really hard to make sure that uh, that the men and women that do the, the job uh, respect why we do it for the people. And so uh, I find myself in a, in a bridging the gap capacity all the time is trying to explain what we do, why we do, and then explain to other people uh, what that feels like, you know, when we do it, you know, and how to communicate that well. Uh, and, and it's a constant battle. It's a constant battle.
0: Wow. You said something that I think is is so significant. Uh, you said you found yourself, you know, wanting to, uh, aspiring to be the person, the good guy. And then you said the one who takes the risk, puts, puts themselves between people and, and maybe the evil that's going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And obviously, in law enforcement, that is a leadership position. And I know it's there's a lot going on today and a, and a, and a lot of things being thrown around. But, but functionally, in, in our communities, law enforcement is a, is a position of leadership, leading people to do the right thing and protecting people from people who don't do the right thing. As leaders, all of us actually should be serving a calling where we are putting ourselves in the way of the risk that might come against the people that we serve, the people that work for us. And I I see leaders often not doing that. I see Mm -hmm. leaders who, when risk is there, they, they let the company or the group or whatever take the risk, and when things don't go well, they kind of throw the people farther down the ladder under the bus, you know? And when things go well, they take the credit for it. And the opposite should be true. As leaders, when things don't go well, we should be the ones stepping to the front saying, that was my responsibility, I'll take that. You know, the team was doing what I asked them to do, and then when things go well, we should push our people to the front and say, "Look at how great our people mm-hmm. are. Look at the bu- what they're the, doing." The buck stops here. Yes. When it
1: when it goes bad, and, and when it goes good, it's all theirs. Yeah. yeah absolutely. A- absolutely. They, because it, it doesn't. I get a lot of credit for what my unit is doing, and and it's not fair, because they are they are. I, I cast the vision. I, I put them in position, but they make the plays.
0: Right.
1: They make the plays, and it's all about them. If it, if it goes wrong, I put them in a bad position most often or I didn't communicate the vision very well uh, or something. It all comes back uh, to me. Uh, in, in, when we're talking about leadership, it's like what makes the good leader this to me is the good leader is the person willing to sacrifice what they want for what other people need on a consistent basis. Over and over
0: and over again. It's not about what I want. It's about what they need. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you so much for that. Okay, so I said we'd get back to this. Okay. This title, of master mentor. That sounds pretty special. I mean, that's an honor. Um, Clearly shows that people have a lot of respect for you, especially uh, among inner city youth and the different groups that you work with. So tell us a little bit about your message in that respect um, you know, if, if you get an opportunity, when you get an opportunity to speak to young people, you know, what do you say? And then as a follow-on to that question, I'll go ahead and ask you, and if you need me to remind you later, mm-hmm. I will. Um, if you could ask corporate leaders or organizational leaders, you know, the people that are predominantly uh, our our target audience here, for help in one area, what would that be? Mm. Yeah, you, know, you might to remind me that. But yeah, master mentor
1: is an honor. And, and the reason I I don't know where it comes It comes from other master mentors, like pe- other people that are in that space that are trying to coach and, and help people. They recognize game peeps game. Like, I, I know you got good game in this. And so we kind of recognize each other. And there's some, there's some people all over town that are, are doing that well. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, a, it's an honor to do that. What, uh, what I like to, to see, the reason you get that is because I constantly asking myself, uh, and I made a list of this for me before, I'm asking myself when I'm around young people, when I'm around people that need influence, that are seeking influence, leadership, is I want them to be able when, to, to point to me when people ask them, who cheers on your dreams? Who, who is that? Who cheers on your dreams? I want them to say, that dude right there, Mr. Cubit, cheers on my dreams. When, when, uh, when they go, who, who in this town, is really challenging the way you think. Who's, who's doing that? I want them to say me. I want them to say, I want them to point to me when, uh, where does, who creates a baseline of wisdom for you? That guy, that guy right there, when I go to that center, I know I'm always gonna get a baseline for what's smart, what's right, what's the wise thing. The thing that I know innately in my heart is the right thing to do, even though I want to do something else, he always keeps me centered uh, on that. Who cares enough about you to correct you, to rebuke you, to not let you get away with it? Who's going to hold you accountable? I want that to be me, me, who plays with you, who has fun, who jokes with you, who is not so serious with you when they don't have to be. That's me, right? I want that to be me. And then who offers you perspective? Like, let's look at this another way. Like it's, the way you see it is not always the only way of seeing it. Who gives you perspective? I want that to be me. And then, and then, lastly, is unconditionally, who loves you no matter what. Who loves you no matter what? Uh, that's me. So that's a lot to remember. But master mentors, master leaders, master coaches know these three things: uh, add value to people. Period. Wherever you go, just always looking for ways to add value. Uh, to believe in what they can become like i've recognized that the person that's sitting before me right now is on their way to being better than what they are right now and then i have to love them unconditionally period knowing that they're going to disappoint me they're going to make me mad they're going to uh, and i'm not going to worry about all of that because i know that if there's a person in there they're going to disappoint me they're going to let me down but if i love them period it will not affect the way i treat them
0: that's fantastic okay so the follow on question okay. was how can we as organizational leaders what, what, what would you call on us for? What do you need from us?
1: Right. So everybody everybody that's in my realm of influence, like all of my relationships, I'm always trying to leverage those relationships for the good of others. Like so pick up the phone when these, when these master mentors are saying, I need a job for X. I need this parent to need a job. I need them to get it. I need to walk them around a boardroom. I need to use your space. Uh, I need opportunity. Uh, people that that do nonprofit work like I do in organizations, we frequently need money, but more than that, we need opportunity and volunteers, right? We need resources, not just money, all the time. Uh, what what when in the gang world, when I first started doing this, I was mentoring a lot of gang kids, and I would and and I would lose those gang kids because the guy on the street appeared to be rich and resourceful, and he said, "I want you to come hang out with me." And, he would, and I couldn't, I couldn't influence them to come hang out with me because I didn't have deep pockets and resources. But, but that's changed. I went to the community and said, I need to at least appear like I got deep pockets and resources so that I can have their attention long enough to uh, earn their respect. And once I got their respect, they'll follow me anywhere. I can lead them into a successful life. And so corporate America uh, has, to, has to identify the master mentors that are around in the neighborhoods and in places, and then empower them and hold them up and, and, and get behind them and honor their requests because they're always thinking of others and not thinking of themselves. Master mentors. I'm not talking about the guy that just reads with somebody, you know, uh, or, or they're mentoring just the people in their family. These master mentors are looking for opportunity to serve wherever they go, wherever they go. I've started mentoring at the Seven Eleven down the store. I <laughs> ended up, getting a relationship from a kid that recognized me from the center and, it, and and became one of my mentees that's awesome yeah
0: okay so you said a couple of things I want to I want to highlight um, back when you were kind of summing up your message um, you, you talked about you know if you' if you're going to be a master leader you, you have to love people un, unconditionally and that's a word we're not often comfortable <laughs> using in leadership we don't we don't like to talk about loving people but right. Um, so pick another word, right? I mean, you know, we can say we care about people unconditionally. We care about and value them unconditionally, mm-hmm. but it really is love. I mean, it, you know, it's not romantic love. It's, it's brotherly love. It's, you know, it's right. Taking let me, care let me, the, let me take that for you it, it, because love is an action, not a feeling. And you know, when
1: you say the word love, you're all thinking about a feeling, but when a leader says love, he's talking about an action. It's a, it's, it's produced or it's just proven by what you do, not what you say
0: that's perfect okay that is great so I love that I'll use that word and and we certainly need more of that and then when you're talking about what you need from us you mentioned that you know sometimes you're asking for money and, and what I often say is, uh, you know, there's a lot of problems that won't get fixed without resources. Right. But resources don't fix problems. Relationships fix problems. And what we really have to do is we have to connect with people for things to change.
1: There's no video here, but I'm high-fiving you
0: right now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah relationships. So, so, so I, what I hear you say is we need to get more involved in the community around us. We need to step out and make ourselves available not just our pocketbooks which you need that too and we we can do that but you need us one of the things we do at kimring and i'm i'm not bragging on me i'm bragging on my team um is our philanthropy is as often as we can and we want it to be always tied to our involvement so we often with an organization will say look We want you to set up opportunities for our people to come volunteer with you, and for every hour or for every shift or whatever they do, we'll give you X number of dollars. And the more people you, you know, the more of our people volunteer, Mm -hmm. the more money we'll just write the check, you know, whatever that is. Because once we get our people involved, then they start being part of the solution. You know, it's not just us writing a check to a nonprofit who's out there trying to do work, but now our, our people become part of the army that's trying to do good. And so I, I, I love that you said that, and I really appreciate you bringing that out. Um, so we're, you know, we're not, this, this podcast is not political in nature, but it's impossible for us to talk about establishing a safe environment and caring about people without acknowledging how much that has been fractured in our communities today and in, in, in the world around us today. In the past several months, um, have highlighted, obviously, a significant lack of trust between law enforcement and the community in a lot of areas, even here in Oklahoma City, mm-hmm. which is always shocking to me. I'm used to watching things happen on the coast and, you know, in Chicago and places, but, you know, Oklahoma is usually a pretty calm and, and not unruly place. And, and even here, you know, we, we have issues. Um, tell us how, how you see us bridging that. Um, you know, what, what, are, what are next steps that we need to be doing as a community? Um, and specifically as leaders, you know, uh, what do you see, where do you see us going with this? Well, that's, that's an
1: interesting, and it's easy for us to park on policing and that relationship between policing. Uh, but, but to me, that's the, the relationship between policing and, and the community really is uh, the bleeding. It's not the sickness, right? It is, it is what is the outward, it's the sore. Right? It's what we run to to treat. It's the one we put our hand on. It's the easy one to access. But, but I think the community knows that. And, uh, and so in police work, we're just always running to 911s. We're always running to the scene. But I think as leaders, we need to have a deeper conversation about why that is. Like, why are we bleeding? Why are we having this, this tough time? And, and it's relational. just like you said, it is person-to-person, neighborhood-to-neighborhood. There are some implicit things. There's, there is uh, structural uh, and systematic racism that's built into our country uh, that, that we don't like talking about. We just don't like. It is uncomfortable. I, just now I know, because we haven't talked about this, I know that I am hitting an uncomfortable topic when I, when I say that. But, uh, but I want to say that racism in this country is not the elephant in the room. I saw this quote today. It is not the racism. Uh, it is not the elephant in the room. It is the room. It is the room. And we are in, we're occupying the room and never talking about our relationship uh, with racism. It is a shared American history that uh, we can actually have uh, two different perspectives on, and if we don't talk about it, we never solve it. Just because we don't talk about a problem doesn't, doesn't mean it doesn't <laughs> exist. And so uh, it, it is glaring, and, and, and I know that because uh, I have a very diverse group of friends, and I know that in one friend group, they're talking about this with nobody else from the other group in the room. How much, how much are we going to solve that problem just talking about it amongst ourselves, mm-hmm. right? And I know that that's not an isolated conversation when I go to the other side of the tracks, We're having the conversation, we're just not having the conversation together. And we're not agreeing on what's true, right? We fight about all kinds of things, but we're fighting about what's not true. So here, to answer your question, to bridge the gap, I think leaders need to bring a big dose of truth to people that they they lead. This is the truth. Whatever the truth may be for whatever, here's the truth. Now we can argue about how we deal with the truth but we're not gonna argue about what the truth is. What we're dealing with today is, is that we have uh, a variety of different truths being told. Leaders tell the truth even when it hurts. This is not good for you to hear, Mr. Hill, but I gotta tell you, this is the reality. Now, let's talk about how we're gonna deal with the reality. I hate to tell you the truth, but but we gotta deal with it. The truth, the facts will not change. Emotion will be everywhere, but the facts will never change. And so we just haven't, we just haven't, we're just not talking about the facts, how we got here. Right. Why, why do certain people not trust the police and other people do? Why is it so, why is it some people are very, very scared on a traffic stop and other people are not? What, do, what, why is that? And when police officers want everybody to feel the same on traffic stops, that is our goal. But it's not the reality. So what, what can I do to help it? Not talk about it? or just be real, and, and let's, just, let's just be honest. I'll tell you this one story, and I don't know how much time we got, but uh, a, a year or so ago, uh, one of the kids that grew up in our program that was mentoring, a great kid, uh, he graduated, he went on. Uh, I haven't heard from him. I started mentoring when he was 15. just 10 years ago. He knocks on the door of our center. I was there just working. And, and to make a long story short, he comes in and tells me, I don't recognize him. He's grown, he's got a beard, deep voice. He, he comes to me and says he had something that he wanted to tell me. I was so happy to see him. And he said, Listen, I need your help with something. And I said, What, what happened? I don't help you with anything. He says, Well, I shot and killed a man during uh, the beginning of the year. And I said, Oh man, that's terrible. What, how are you here? What happened? He says, "Well, uh, before the police came, I ran, and I've been on the run ever since." I'm going, "Whoa! You can't! You cannot possibly be here!" I'm like, "I'm the police, and I know you. You look at me as your mentor, but uh, we. I gotta turn you. I gotta take you in." He says, "Well, that's why I'm here." He says, "I. I, uh, I haven't been able to sleep." I haven't been able to, to eat. I haven't seen my family. I haven't seen my kids. I've been on the run. I just think this whole thing is just horrible. He says, but I did the right thing. I did what I had to do. Let me tell you what happened. I said, I don't want to know what happened. I don't want to be a part of your case. We just got to go. He says, well, uh, I got to tell you, the reason I'm here is because I know that I can trust you, and I don't trust police, and I know that, that you, will, you, will, you will take me in. I said, well, if you thought you did the right thing, when you did it, why didn't you stay and talk to the police then? He said, because I'm young, and I'm black, and I knew they wouldn't give me a fair chance. He said, but you're the only man in law enforcement, the only people that come here in the center, I I trusted these officers here, so I'm coming here to tell you my story, would you take me and turn me in? Well, I called my pastor, we prayed for him, we took him down there, it was all on video, they found out that uh, what he did was justified, he, he was let go, and in, in the moral of the story, part of the story is he was contemplating suicide because he didn't think the police would trust him because he was black. Now, I don't think that's the reality, but it is the reality in his world, and it was very, very real for him. And so what I decided uh, that I would do is that no longer will I just do police work the way I just do police work. I want to start listening differently, listen with my heart, and not just with my ears. Clearly, clearly this distrust is coming from somewhere. And if we don't sit down and start talking about the, 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 uh, the foundation of this fear, the foundation of this feeling, how will we ever solve it? So,
0: anyway. Let me say amen. Um, it's interesting because I, you know, I tend to take all the things that, that I hear and see and, and I can't help, but, but put them in a, in a leadership context, you know, Mm -hmm. how does that impact me as a leader? And I, and, and listening to you talk about that, I think about all the different problems that we end up interacting with and having to resolve just in the daily operations of a business. We're a manufacturer here at Cambridge. Mm-hmm. We make products. We've got right. quality problems. We've got supply problems. We've got, you know, all different kinds of things happening. And it's never the case that we all sit around and argue about the reality that we're seeing happen. We don't always agree about why it happens, mm-hmm. but what we what we do is we say, look, we're observing this Reality. This is this is happening. Yeah. This is the product isn't the quality that we need, or these parts don't fit, or something's happening. And then we say, "Look, let's start measuring things and find out where the problem is." And we may not. We all. We may all have a different idea about where the problem is, but we don't argue about that because we can figure it out if we all agree that the part coming off the machine is not the way we want it. It's just a matter of how many different things do we need to measure or check. And then when we start talking about solutions, the same thing's true. We say, look, here's a solution. Here's a solution. Here's a solution. We may not all agree what the best solution is, but you know what we can do? We can try them, and we can see if there's an appreciable difference in the outcome of the system that we're working on.
1: That's what leaders do. Make that decision.
0: I know like. <laughs> that the, the, the system that we're talking about here, yeah. you know, communities and people's biases and all the different things that have happened historically, yes, it's complex and it's complicated. But you and I both know, and you said it, if we would stop arguing about whether there's a problem, and I say, okay, look, here's, the, here's what's happening. It's right in front of us. We can document that. Now let's start trying different things. Let's, let's agree that we're going to measure and try different things to see what's happening. That's how leaders typically solve problems, but that's not what we're seeing typically among our leaders nationally or even locally, and, and that, I think, is, is, is has to change or we're not going to see any, any difference. So, you, I mean, you hit the nail on the head there. No, you, you put it in
1: great – that's a great uh, analogy in the segue to, to solution-based leadership. Like, we need to identify the problem. We can see it. Like, it's coming down the assembly line – Wrong. We don't have a product right. that we like. Right. And we do know we have the capacity to, to produce something we do like. But we have to agree on what's true. Right. Now that's perfect. Very, very good.
0: Okay. So um, you work with young people all the time. Um, so this should be a, an easy, this is a slow pitch right over the plate. <laughs> Maybe. If you, had, if you had an opportunity to be in front of a group of emerging leaders you know, people who aspire to be leaders. Um, what's a one or two words of advice you would give them? Mm. I think we probably,
1: probably, probably covered it in in the baseline for leadership. For me, is uh, and I'll go back to earlier in our conversation. Is you leaders need to recognize that people uh, need you to sacrifice for what they need. They need you to do it. They're looking for you uh, to guide them to places they need to be. They'll do the rest. They'll do the rest. But if you are focused on your comfort more than you're, you're than you're focused on uh, their success, you're gonna fail. Your comfort comes after their success. Start looking for how you can make them successful. Help them be successful. Put them in the right place and position, and your comfort will come in knowing you did that. Seeking your comfort first is not leadership. It's something else.
0: Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, let me, if you would, um, just tell you on behalf of of Kim Ray and and the people that I serve, um, we appreciate your service. We appreciate the fact that you've dedicated your life to law enforcement, to keeping uh, the citizens of Oklahoma City safe and to making sure that this is a place where we can live and work and participate and raise families. Um, I know that that has not been easy, probably nearly as much as it's been very difficult. And, uh, and, and you embody the very things that you're telling us about. You know, these are not empty words. Um, that you picked up off of a page of a book somewhere. I mean, it's that, the life you've been living. And so I just want to tell you how much we appreciate that, how much we appreciate your involvement in the community and your leadership in the community and and, and what it means to our community. So thank you. thank you. Well, for thank,
1: thank you and Kim Ray
0: for partnership with the, all the things that we've done, all the things that I've done.
1: Uh, we've been in this building. We've been in this space. It has been a resource for our officers and our mentees. And so I appreciate you for doing that and your commitment to doing
0: it. Well, keep calling us because we want to be there for you. Again, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to be with us. It has been wonderful. You've been an engaging and uh, exciting person to talk to. So thank you. Thank you. This has been Word from the Herd, and we do appreciate you spending time with us today, and we hope you'll join us again next week. Thank you.
1: Thank you for joining us today on Word from the Herd, a production of the Kimmel Foundation. For more information about the Kimmel Foundation, visit us at TheKimmelFoundation.com or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter
0: at TheKimmelFDN. Please share this podcast and join us again next week for another Word from the Herd.